broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 72 of Freight 360. Today, we're going to be talking all about how to handle objections. But first, if you are a first-time listener, welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, thanks for continuing to join us every single week as Ben and I deliver you guys great content every single Friday. Leave us that review. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. We have a website, Freight360.net. Go ahead, hop on any one of those, leave that review. We're up to almost 40 to, I think, almost 50,000 downloads now, Ben. We're, uh, we're making progress. Close. Yeah, Closing in on it. Yeah. It's going to be a good episode today. All about objections. It's one of the biggest things that sales folks struggle at when they're newer uh, in, in the brokerage community. You know, they've, uh, they get someone on the phone and they get that no or that objection and they quickly say, all right, on to the next one. And that's probably not the right choice. So we're going to have a good discussion on that today. You've, you have got a really good background on this. So I'm excited for it, but we've got to hit on some sports updates here first, man. This is going to be this is a good one. Do you recall my prediction last week for the Super Bowl? I, I said don't. the Buffalo Bills were going to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And yeah. which two teams advanced to the, to the conference championships? That is true. Bills playing an arrowhead against the Chiefs with a concussion protocol Mahomes. I think he plays. He'll be fine. And then um, Tampa Bay playing in Green Bay. So should be should be interesting. Did you catch the Bills game by any chance? I caught some of it. The, the Baltimore Ravens traveled all the way to Buffalo just to kick a field goal. It was a 17 to three. I mean, in all, you know, in all due respect for both teams, both teams did miss two field goals each. It was pretty windy. Mm-hmm. Still didn't, didn't change the game, but um, Bills with a 101 yard end zone pick six. Taron Johnson ran all the way from the Ravens end zone all the way back to score a touchdown for the bills just awesome. broke down coverage what um lamar jackson just threw a bad pass there was really good blocking on the interception and then running down the field with i think it was like 30 yards to go um he got a nice block from tredavious white who's one of the um cornerbacks to allow him to go to, you know to the house so, that's awesome what are your yeah, predictions was- this week what do you think um, so the spread opened up for Buffalo. I've got Buffalo and Tampa Bay winning. I, and I, I know that sounds like 200 dogs, but Hey man, the bills are explosive right now. Um, I think Mahomes will play, but I think Buffalo will not be embarrassed by the chiefs. Like they were earlier in the season. It's a different bills team now. So I'm taking Buffalo in a close game. The spread opened at like plus no, it was minus one and a half, quickly shifted to even, and now it's at like minus three uh, Chiefs. So Chiefs are a three-point favorite at home, which literally means Vegas has no idea what's going to happen. But is he expected to play? Is Mahomes expected to play as of now? Um, per, concussion protocol, There's. it sounds like they have to monitor him every single day until the game, so we may not know until Sunday, really, if he's going to play. I would mm-hmm. expect him to play, and I think the Bills expect him to play. But we'll see. Yeah. 
Um, other news in the uh, sports world, Kyrie Irving, I don't know if you follow basketball. He was like AWOL for a while and said he had some personal issues and then, you know, popped up on social media at like a birthday party, not wearing a mask. And But he's, he's back. He's back. You know, I don't know. I'm not a big NBA guy, but that was all yeah. over ESPN. And then Conor McGregor fighting this Saturday night. Is he? I didn't see that. Who's he yeah. fighting this week? Um, I don't, I don't remember the guy's name, but I would, I saw the betting lines on it. Like he's, it was like a minus 300 bet on McGregor. He's expected to win. And he says he's going to win like in the first 15 or 20 seconds. Handily. I'm like a plus 300. It sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Um, my wife and I like to watch those. They're, they're usually on so late. Like the, the, his fight will not be on until like midnight. So, yeah, same here. My son, he used to fight competitively when he was a teenager or up until he was about a teenager. So he's still a huge MMA fan. But most of the most of the those cards, like they don't fight until super late, which is. Yeah, it just kind of throws off the whole rest of the week for me, like one night till 12, 1230 or one o'clock, then it throws everything off. I'd rather just kind of stick with it. And I usually watch the highlights the next morning. But gotcha. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's get into the episode. But but first, let's um, let's talk a little bit more about our friends over at DAT and what they've got going on with us, Ben. Yeah, I mean, we've got some great stuff with them this year. Really excited to be doing some upcoming episodes. Actually, I, I think depending on the schedule, we might have a great episode with them next week. But one of the things that we absolutely wanted to make sure that all of our listeners know is what we have offered to them. And it's a free month free of either DAT Express or DAT Power. So if you haven't checked them out or you're using other load boards, get you a free entry, free trial, free 30 days, see what you're able to do. The biggest thing that why we recommend them and why even the people I directly work with, why I suggest they take a look at this is the amount of time it's going to take you to cover your loads. The more trucks, the more carriers that use these load boards, the less time you should have locating them. That's the time that should go directly into prospecting, getting more customers, getting more profitable business as you progress. So great stuff over there. If you haven't checked it out, please take a look at the links in the description box and the show notes. And I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So Dat Power, Dat Express and Trucker's Edge. I'm a big, I'm a Dat Power user. That's what all my agents use. And that's what I personally am a, a huge advocate for, but there's something for everyone in there, depending on your size and whether you're a carrier or a broker or both. So check them out. Good stuff. All right. Today's episode, all about handling objections. We have, so we hit on this. Um, we did a sales scripting episode with our friend Bruce last summer, and this would really be a follow-up topic to that. So we talked all about kind of going through your preparation for the call, getting on the call and starting the call. And now as that call progresses, you're going to, you're going to run into these objections. Okay. So that's why we wanted to talk about this today. We're going to keep it um, fairly high level, talk about some of the common objections, what an objection is and what it's not. Um, but that's, that's the main, that's the main goal for today. So Ben, take us through it. What is an objection? Well, I think that's the first question you want to ask yourself is everybody kind of puts these all in the same bucket. Anytime you hit any friction when you're going to achieve your goal when you're on the phone with a prospect is to get business from them, right? And anytime there is any type of stall or um, hesitation, brokers tend to view that as an objection, but it really isn't an objection. An objection 
really isn't a bad thing and isn't necessarily something you're trying to avoid. What a real genuine objection is, is it's a buying signal. It's a buying sign, right? And you think about it, think about anything you've purchased. Don't think about it from the sales side. Just think about when you have sat in the prospect role and you are going to make a buying decision. Say you're buying a car, right? Now, you may know which car you want, but there are clearly going to be some questions that you want clarified before you're going to make that decision, right? Oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever that criteria is for you. I mean, yep. when was the last time you sat down to purchase a car, Nate? Um, I bought the car I have now. I bought it uh, three years ago. So just generally, what, what were you looking for in the vehicle when you sat down? <laughs> Lots of funny stories. So I had a, I had a pickup truck and I went to a, I switched to a crossover, um, purely because the garage, when my, my, my wife and I got married and moved into our house, the garage doors were two, two single doors and my truck was too wide to fit inside. So I needed to get a smaller car that could fit in. So I knew I had to go by size, but I also still wanted, I wanted a lot of the stuff that I had with the truck. I wanted it to be good in the snow. I wanted to have the comfort that my truck had. Um, I'm huge on the experience because I used to drive 45 minutes each way to work. So I wanted the, the comfort package. I wanted the heating steering wheel, the heated seats, the auto start, um, you know, be able to do stuff from a mobile app. Um, so I was all about, you know, I wanted it, I like black vehicles. So I wanted it to be black. I, you know, had to look nice, had to feel nice, had to drive nice. So it was, um, I did a lot of research online to try to prep myself first but obviously I had to go in there and I had to start asking questions to the sales rep that was there. And that is really where my objections were to pop up. So he would say, well, you know, this, I don't know. He'd say something about the car. I'm like, okay, well, great. Well, how is it on gas mileage? Mm -hmm. It's an objection. So, so pause right there, right? Yeah. And from that person's point of view, they're thinking, oh, well, this is an objection, right? It's friction. It's preventing the sales rep from getting to the close, which is his goal, right? But in reality, all you're really looking for is some clarifications. Like, and, and what you're thinking is, tell me more, right? The, the whole reason you're sitting there, the whole reason you're buying a vehicle from this individual and you're sitting there is to get some more information that he obviously has in his head that you don't have, right? It's just that simple, right? Yep. But so often in brokerage, and this is the important key, right? You're in an industry, everybody that has listened to this is either in it, working in it, or about to get into it, where there is a ton of competition, right? You are not the only one trying to reach these shippers. You are one of thousands of people trying to earn their business. So from their point of view, they are getting bombarded with calls. That is very different than a car dealer, right? That guy is not dealing with thousands of people or hundreds of people trying to work with him every day and vice versa. Now, why yep. does that matter? Why should you care? Because when you're calling to reach a decision maker at a shipper, they have their own days, their own responsibilities, those things. So their gatekeeper's job is to do two things. Allow the person through that that decision maker needs to speak to and prevent the people that are going to take up his time and not add value from getting through, right? Yep. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think a good way to to look at it as far as the service side, because this is a, a service industry, is I look at when I had back to the vehicle purchase, the, the dealership that I worked with to buy the truck versus the dealership that I bought my, um, my crossover from, they are two different companies, two different levels of service. And when the car went in for maintenance, it was 
I had a really bad experience with the last one. So when they tried talking to me about the, you know, the service packages and the maintenance options and stuff like that, they'll come pick my car up. Um, that was where I was like, I had a really bad experience with this one last time. It was a waste of my money. Those were me. That was me throwing out big objections, but being able to talk with the sales rep and feel comfortable that they're not the other guy. And they understood like, Hey, you guys, you had a bad experience. They knew which company it was. And they're like, yeah, we get a lot of folks that were with them in the past and they'll never go back. And that's a, I think it's a good segue into brokerage and relating it to being a freight broker because it is a service industry. You're not buying a product, you're selling a service essentially. So they may have worked with another broker and had trucks falling off, or they might've had a broker that wasn't responsive or giving them updates or who charged them an arm and a leg. And, you know, they were getting terrible rates when they can get them better with better carriers somewhere else. So objections happen for a reason. They do. It usually has to do with past experience. Right. And, and kind of like circling back, right, to how to define the difference. Is this a blow off or is it a genuine objection, right? What Nate was referring to are genuine objections, things he wants to ask, things that he wants clarified before he's going to move forward and make a decision. That's a good thing. If you've established rapport and you're receiving the objection after you've established rapport, it's likely a buying sign it's likely some indication that they're interested in you clarifying why they may or may not be a good fit to work with you. Now, what a blow off is. A blow off is if you're getting this in the first 30 seconds you call them, it's not an objection. It's a blow off. It's an excuse. It's a stall. When you're calling them in the first five seconds, they're going, yeah, this is Cindy. Oh, hey, can I speak with John? What's this regarding? Oh, shipping. Oh yeah. You know what? Um, We only ship LTL. Or yeah, you know what? We only work with asset carriers, right? If you're hearing that in the first few moments, it's a blow off, right? Much different than an objection. A genuine objection is later after you've really established that rapport. And that's the best way to tell the difference, right? Now, now let's talk about this. You talk about blow offs. How can we differentiate a blow off versus a true, I don't have time to talk right now. It's not a good time. Well, the first is going to be, you're dis- the decision maker, if that's the person you're speaking to, likely they do have the time. Or even if they don't have the time, that's where it's coming from. If it's a decision maker and you're getting this, now I'm probably going to gauge his tone of voice. Does he sound flustered? Does he sound like he's busy, right? We yeah. all sound different when we're hurried. That's what's going to cue me into whether or not he's telling me the truth or whether or not he's trying to get me off the phone. And either way, there's something called follow-up that we've talked about all the time, yes. which you can always try to get them at a better time. You can try to call them later in the day, the next day, the next week, you name it. Yep. But you, now, make, a, you make a very, very good point there. Some common blow-offs because I've uh, – <laughs> here's one that I thought was funny. Um, I, we did like a uh, – I guess – I guess a cold calling training uh, a couple of years ago at a company I was with. And we literally picked up the phone, called a prospect out of the blue and gave him our spiel and did some group feedback together on how the calls went. And the one, the girl called and they answered and she gave her a little elevator pitch for 10, 15 seconds. And the guy's like, look, if I, I need to be using the phone to be making money and I'm not making money talking right now, it's not a good time. And it was like, he was straightforward to the point was like, it's not a good time. It wasn't necessarily a bluff. It was like a, Hey, just not a good time. Yep. So, and that's fine. Now, that's a good one. my favorite, my go-to way to get through a blow off or to prevent it, actually, it's not necessarily to get through the blow off, but it's to prevent it. Now, anybody that's 
anyone of that's actually in this business that has covered a load and actually worked, you know, on a shipment. When you have called and think about this, when you have called either a receiver or a shipper because your driver's having an issue and you needed to reach that decision maker who handles that, which in most cases is the same person and the same title that you're trying to prospect at another company. Yep. Does that person ever screen that call? When you're making that call, and that's how I would train my new trainees and the people that were going to become brokers is when they were doing my check calls or dealing with issues, they are getting through that gatekeeper 99, if not 100 out of 100 calls when the driver has an issue. Why is that? Why is it that when you call because you've got a problem, you don't get screened and you reach the decision maker, but three hours later when you're in prospecting mode, you make that dial and all of a sudden you can't get through there. Yeah, it's the it's going to be the angle in which you approach the phone call. I, I think these gatekeepers are put in that position as a gatekeeper because they can detect what the motive for the call is, which is yeah. why we've said things such as maybe you want to go not right to the shipping manager, but maybe call accounting, get the get the backdoor entrance. Absolutely. Which is a great and another effective way to kind of end around is to call a different apartment and to be asked to transfer to that person in shipping. There's almost never a gatekeeper in the sales lines. They want the calls that are waiting for their calls to come through. You will reach somebody and likely you can play the phone directory basically in your favor. Most phone directories will show where the call is being transferred from, not the outside line. So if you call sales, when they transfer you to shipping, it shows a transfer from sales. Yep. And then you likely get around the screen. The so biggest, but the biggest way, right, is exactly what you alluded to is they're not necessarily hired because they have the ability to screen, but they've answered the phone so many times that they subconsciously know exactly what it sounds like when somebody needs to reach their boss and when somebody is trying to reach their boss. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, here, and this is what I was going to say before is if let's say you go into the call and you give your spiel of, hey, we're a broker trying to get added to your list. And they give the blow off. Oh, the gatekeeper says, we're not adding any new providers right now. Right. That's a blow off. Mm -hmm. It's yep. not an objection. Because guess what? When there's a truck that falls off and they don't have any other brokers that can cover it or asset companies, they're going to add somebody on to get that load moved. I've seen it Absolutely. happen so many times. And, and so when they have the issue, they'll send the load. They're going to yep. get it picked up. That's, but you know, that decision maker, isn't that person making that decision? They're doing their job. And that's, what's important to remember, right? Is I remember I read in a study one time where they surveyed all of these gatekeepers and almost none of them, even with some like 30, 40 years experience knew how they were able to do this. They couldn't explain it. They just knew they felt instinctually when somebody needed to reach their boss and when they weren't. And that's what we talk about all the time, right? Communication, 93% of communication is nonverbal, is not what you've said. It's your tone of voice. It's your inflection. Yep. It's your rate of speech. If you're in person, it's your posture. It's all of these other little cues we pick up when somebody's speaking to us. And if you can replicate that urgency or that same tone when you're prospecting that you do when your driver has an issue, you will get through these gatekeepers 90% of the time. Absolutely. So what what are some of the, the other blow-offs that you'll – tend to see like, Hey, we're not adding new um, brokers right now. LTL. We only use asset based companies. Only asset based. We're LTL. You know, we have our own trucks. We don't use brokers. We're only asset based carriers. We're happy with our current providers. I mean, those are all your blow offs, right? Yep. 
I mean, absolutely. But that doesn't mean you can't have some prepared, canned responses to these. Yes. And this is the piece that no matter how many times we say it, I feel like it isn't often enough. And being a one-on-one coach working with my clients, I have guys that and gals that are top in their industry. I coach one of the top reps at Echo. I coach one of the top reps at TQL and a ton of people in between. And every single one of them ends up with better results when they do these things. It's not just the new people. And it's preparing answers to these, right? Number one, we're happy with our current carriers. Just some canned responses that you can have prepared and practiced are, hey, you come up with your first response. That's great. It feels good to work with people you trust. You should. And then following that up with a question like, how many carriers do you deal with and for how long? How many loads do you tend to be moving per week? Full loads. What are the common lanes you run, right? They're great responses to keep that conversation going. Because remember, a blow off is exactly that. They're trying to get you off. They haven't thought through their next sentence. So if you respond in kind and ask them a good question after that, you'll usually catch them off guard and you can maybe actually get some real information from them. And one of the things I'm a big fan of, and I think I mentioned this before, is I've seen whether it's flashcards or using a Word document or Excel list just to kind of lay out your common objections. And this is if you're brand new and it's almost scripted, but you've got to start somewhere. And the more and more you go through these, it'll be you'll find your voice in handling and overcoming that blow off or that objection as it pops up. And it'll come so much more naturally to you. And you're no longer reading off a screen. You're literally just going through the normal flow of your conversation like you normally would. So I'm a big fan of having it organized that way. And and that's the point, right? People ask constantly, you know, what's the difference between top producers? Where, why do some of these people, some folks make tons of money and some aren't? How long is it going to take me to get there is the next question. I want to be there. How do I get there quicker, right? This is the recipe to get there faster. The only reason those people are better at objections is because over time they've handled thousands of these. And if you want to speed that up, sit at home or in the morning or in between or on your lunch break and practice these. The better you are, even when they're canned at first, the more you will find your voice and the quicker your responses will be, the more natural they'll sound and the better their conversations will flow. Agreed. And I like, so in, you brought up asking questions to kind of almost probing questions as a response to a blow off or an objection. And I'm all about treating these prospecting calls almost like a fact finding mission. You want to really figure out, so you've done your research, you know enough about the company to get started, but when you can talk to somebody live on the phone, and like you said, they don't know what their next line is going to be. And if you can keep asking questions and probing and getting them to give you some information, it helps you understand them because at the end of the day, Ben, they may not be a good fit for you as a customer, Correct. but if they are, at least you, you, you know, when, if you, whether they are, or whether they're not, at least you've gone through that process to know for sure if it's worth your time and pursuing. And, and here's the next thing, right? That what you just did also has a psychological impact on the person you're speaking to. When you are prospecting a gatekeeper and genuinely engaging and building rapport with that person, you will get information that you wouldn't have had otherwise, which is one, obviously helpful. Two, helps you qualify whether or not this is someone you work with. And three, it gets you one step closer to actually talking to the decision maker, whether it happens on this call or not. And I think it's important to understand that some of these gatekeepers that people are trying to blow past in some ways, 
have valuable information and the proverbial keys to the kingdom at the end of the day. They're the one that knows their boss's schedule. They're the one that knows when he comes in. They know when he leaves. They know what the problems are. They hear him complain or her complain and they hear them when they're happy. They know the questions. They know the answers to a lot of these things. We don't ask them. But why do you think that is? Because that's the next big tip to getting past gatekeepers is how are you treating them? Are you treating them like a peer? Are you treating them like they're less than or are you treating them the same way you would treat if you reach a decision maker? Is it the same level of respect? What do you think the answer to that is for most people, Nate? Uh, my guess would be that they treat them with less because they're like, ah, oh, they're just the assistant for this person, but um, which is a really bad way to look at it because they're the one that's going to grant you the ability to go to that next step and talk to that gatekeeper. Exactly. And you think about it, right? And this is what we talk about in coaching, but it's about the intention, right? It's not spending 20 minutes before every call, but it's taking a moment to really get your mindset before you approach this call to think about this. If I'm catching the gatekeeper, how big is this company? How much is this gatekeeper likely to know? Do I want to prospect the gatekeeper? Because I have closed some of my largest customers by building rapport and genuinely prospecting the gatekeeper first. Yep. And that's it's simple. It's treating them like a peer or treating them like somebody that is above your stature and treating them with respect, right? We all know what that means. We all know the difference in verbiage you use between the new hire in your company and the senior manager at your company. They're very different tones of voice and very different language, right? Yeah, it's like it's like if you uh, you got to call a 1-800 number and you get a it's for some customer service thing for whatever, right? Whether it's a product you have, a service you have for your bank, you name it, right? The, per, the customer service person, a lot of people treat them like garbage because they feel like, well, they're not going to do anything for me. Would you treat someone that's giving you an interview for a job the same way? Absolutely not. Well, imagine times, that. That's a great one. And I think yeah. that's a great point to think about is if you were going to a job interview in person and you met this gatekeeper, how would you treat them if you were going into a job interview? Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's the same, it's the same way you should be doing it over the phone. When you are going to prospect this decision maker, that is an interview for you to work with this company. Yep. Agreed. And I will tell you that a little, little side note, when I talk to customer service reps, I treat them nice, just like I treat everybody else nice. Cause I like to have an enjoyable conversation and never have, I don't like to have that animosity or that aggressive feeling on the other end of the phone. So well, here's the other thing, right? Yeah. It doesn't Maybe it'll make their anymore. day a little bit nicer. It doesn't cost anymore. It makes you feel better about yourself. And it makes the whole arduous task of prospecting for hours on end every day, a little more, to- more tolerable when you're enjoying the people you're speaking to. Agreed. Agreed. So I, what I want to do is I, I want to talk about not just the gatekeeper necessarily, because Sometimes smaller to mid-sized companies, they don't have a gatekeeper. You might get right to the traffic manager. But first, let's talk about our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. The folks at Lean will help you set up a satellite office in Columbia, South America. From staffing and tech solutions to marketing and sales, Lean Solutions Group is a one-stop shop approach to all of your outsourcing needs. They're partnered with over 150 U.S.-based companies in transportation and logistics, providing their customers with high-quality solutions to the dynamic needs of each of them. To learn more about their services, check them out online at leangroup.com. Again, that's leangroup.com. So let's talk about when you actually get to the traffic manager. And I think yep. the, like I said, Ben, the not every company is going to have a gatekeeper. They may not be big enough to afford to have a gatekeeper. Agreed. Right? So you, this is where you're going to probably, 
find yourself in a situation where they may be busy and not actually have the time to talk to you because they're dealing with an issue. Or maybe they do have the time and now you're going to start having the conversation and have the true objections that are buying signs, not actually them telling you no. Absolutely. And and what I want to briefly cover is there are basically four different categories of objectives, right? Or objections, right? Even though they may sound different, you know, when the prospect says them, the meaning behind the objection comes down to one of the four real objections. And it's, is it price? I can't afford this. Rate's too high. Procrastination. I'd like to think about it. Or, you know, give me a call back in a quarter or two. Purchaser who actually makes this decision. Yeah, that sounds great, but I'm not the one that handles it. You need to speak with John or they only approve carriers, the Q1 of every year cost back then or provider. We're happy with who you're, we're using right now. Now, the best way to answer any of these objections is to answer them before they come up. Answering the procrastination objection and purchaser objection is something you should do preemptively during your introduction before your presentation. And then after preempting as many objections as possible in your introduction, you should also bring up some of the most common objections and then use the answer to the objection as your selling point when you present, right? I love this because this, when you can do this, you get ahead of the objection and it really, it doesn't feel like you're a gunslinger that's in a duel with them back and forth, question, response, question, response. It's conversational and you've you didn't come off as salesy or with a, a pitch or anything like that. You've literally laid out a a great opportunity and painted a great picture for them that handles the majority of the objections that may come up before they even have to be brought up. So well, I just think it's, it's a it's a great way to frame it. It is. And that's by far, I think, the biggest mistake even senior tenured people make is there's so much pride in being right and wanting to basically prove that you're right, that you want to win this. And what's the old adage, right? You may win the battle, but you're going to lose the war. Lose the war. Because just because I'm right and I'm in this, you know, fencing between myself and the prospect, yeah, I might win that. But is that bringing me closer to them or pushing us farther away, right? It's absolutely creating space, creating a divide. And that isn't our goal, right? So the objection handling formula that we use and what I coach through is, You first step, isolate the objection. Hey, that's a great point, Nate. Sounds like you guys use your own trucks. Hey, is is that the only thing holding you back from looking at or evaluating new brokers, right? That's important because first I acknowledge it, which has a lot of psychology behind it. It shows him that I'm listening and it shows him that I care. Then I'm going to transition and empathize and say, hey, you know what? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. I can understand why you guys only use asset-based carriers, right? And then my response is going to be a prepared third-party story where I'm going to use another situation to explain that objection. And that does something really impactful because now it's not me on the other side of the table. It's me and the prospect on the same side of the table. And then I bring in this third-party situation and go, makes them feel part of. And I'll give you an example of that, right? It's Hey, Nate, absolutely. I completely understand where you guys are coming from. That makes perfect sense. You guys only work with assets. You know what? That reminds me a lot of, you know, ABC Supply, who, you know, we've been working with for years. You know, at first they only worked with asset-based carriers, but what they had found was when they really had last minute shipments and they needed last minute capacity, the asset companies just weren't able to shift fast enough. 
And that's really where we were able to provide a lot of value. They still work primarily with asset carriers, but we help them with their just-in-time or last-minute shipments or their fallouts, and it's been a great relationship. How does that now make you feel? And I, yeah, exactly. I think it, it's a great way to, to explain it. And I think another thing too is there are, there are follow-up questions that you can ask to clarify their response. So the common one that people, you know, yeah, we only use asset-based carriers. And a, a common follow-up question is, is that a company policy or is that something that's been, um, that you decided yourself? I guess try, try to figure out where does that stem from and is there ever an exception to policy? How has it been working for them? Did they ever work with brokers in the past? There's all kinds of follow-up questions that you can ask that can further clarify their response other than just, we only work with asset-based carriers. And that's what you're looking, right? And, and what we call these are like second, third, or fourth level questions. And the easy way to remember that is you're still on the same topic. You just go a level deeper, right? Just like you alluded to. So a few that we have, right? So we don't use brokers, only asset-based carriers, right? A couple of these prepared responses that you can have is, yeah, did you have a bad experience with the broker? Is that personal preference or company policy, right? Another Absolutely. second level question. Yep. How about this one? Have you ever had a challenge with an asset-based carriers, right? To try to see if that actually has occurred, right? Get yeah. to the root. What? Yeah, your asset-based network right now, what is their fall-off percentage? How often can they actually cover the lanes that they've committed to? How often is freight ending up on the spot market for your other backup carriers or whatever? You know, there, there's all kinds of ways you can go down this one. And then, and then another great one is, like, you mind if I ask you what's important when you're evaluating your asset-based carriers? Like what you guys really care about, what's important to you when you're looking at them? Again, another, and another thing level. too is the, the asset-based companies that they work for, are they also, are they broker and asset-based companies? So is that just a requirement that you've got to be asset-based? And is that, is that freight actually being brokered out? They may or may not even know 100% themselves if that's the case. And they usually case. don't, right. Yeah. <laughs> so. And those are some of the nuances behind this, right? And this is where, this is the surface level, high level things. But as you progress throughout your career, or if you have a mentor you're working with, ask them some of these questions. If you don't have a yep. coach, find a mentor, find somebody that's going to be able to guide you because the nuances behind this are, you know what? They may think they only work with assets, but I'd bet a paycheck that those asset companies have brokerages that support their operations so that they may not even be aware. But I guarantee you that gatekeeper, and that's another great way to find this is, if they're a small shipper, I'm asking the gatekeeper, hey, out of curiosity, do the same types of trucks show up to your loading docks every day? Yep. And they'll usually go, well, what do you mean? Because what are we trying to find out here? So, and here, here's just a little bit of, to give you context as to why a company will operate this way. Large companies that have a large volume of shipments for simplicity will award, they might do like a, a co-op agreement where they might have five to 10 transportation providers. And a lot of times they're asset-based companies that have a supporting brokerage division. So that way that if they don't have capacity on their own fleet, they can broker out the, uh, the difference. But for simplicity, it's still the same point of contact. They only have maybe five to 10 providers that they're dealing with on an annual basis and for, for billing, even though those companies have a, such a wide reach. So I always like, you know, if you get in a situation where they, it's, it's almost a different objection, right? Not that it's only asset-based, but hey, we don't, we're not adding new providers right now. We've got our core, you know, and that's when you can start asking questions about, well, hey, what do you guys do when 
a truck falls off last minute and you can't find somebody? Does it, does the shipment sit? Do you have a, an exception to policy for, um, you know, high priority loads in a spot market type scenario? What does that look like? And they, I mean, God bless them. They may have never had to deal with that situation, but they will at some point. And if you're top of mind and you're doing your proper follow-ups and asking the right questions and making them think that way, guess who they're going to think about when that situation pops up? You. So these are great questions to ask. Yep. And it's just trying to uncover different needs, different things. And it's, I hate this, the, the view that these are pains or problems. And you certainly don't want to be approaching it that way, but you're genuinely trying to find whether or not there is a need and a place for you to add value to their operations, right? And that's yep. the goal at the end of the day, because Absolutely. not every one of them is a good fit to work with you. Here's a good one. Uh, the shipments are customer routed. We don't set up the transportation. We don't arrange, we don't arrange for the trucks. How do you handle this one? This is actually, this is very, very real. And they could, this could be them giving you fluff or it could be the truth. And you've got yep. to uncover that. It's both, right? So my favorite way to look at this before I'll, I'll give you kind of my response is any company, any building that ships anything, right? If something's going out one door, where did it come from? Yep. The next question you got to ask, right? Something had to come in for it to go out, right? And there's transportation and trucks on both ends. So what I want to understand is really what that looks like how the freight comes in and how it goes out. And they're just saying, hey, you know what? Our customers route this. FOB, yeah. freight on board, they are the ones that pick the trucks. Well, my question is going to be right after we go through our process is, hey, can you tell me a little bit about who, who handles your inbound shipment, right? Um, do you have a coordinator there? How do you guys coordinate the shipments that come into your facility, right? Yeah, and I think one of the one of the common times that you'll find this objection is if you approach the call with trying to propose that you have capacity in their area for outbound shipments, and they might say, "Well, we don't have anything outbound that we control," and that's when you may have realized that you led making them think that all you can do is outbound in that lane. When yep. I mean, as a broker, you've you could if you have good carrier relationships or you know how to work the market very well, you can handle any of their, any of their lanes. So, and then here's the next thing I want to think about, right. Is, and regardless of what the answer to that is, regardless of whether they tell me the people they purchase their inventory from handle their freight and their customers handle it. So in essence, they're saying they don't have any control over the trucks that come and go. Now just take a minute and think about that for anybody that has trucks over the road knows that they do not move like trains, right? They have issues, things go wrong. They're not able to be scheduled as tight in some ways as other forms, right? So it's very, very unlikely that any company has zero control of when trucks deliver product and pick it up. In some way, shape or form, they they have some say so in it. And then even if that is the case, I'm going to go with one last ditch effort and ask them, you know, hey, exactly what Nate was alluding to, do you ever have loads that aren't picked up? Ever have customers calling back and asking? Because one, I want to know if there's a fallout. And then my very, very last ditch effort is, do your customers ever ask for references or for recommendations on carriers? Would love to be able to be a reference if you guys are looking to ship to a customer in a new remote area that you guys don't typically ship to. I dig it. Let's talk about price, man. This is a, this tends to be fairly common right? Yeah. So I feel like this objection is more so if you're already quoting, obviously, right? 
you're not going to call somebody up, have a first conversation and they're going to say your rates are too high because they don't know what your rates are. So let's say you've got added to their, their list of vendors that can quote out their spot freight, list freight, jump ball freight, whatever you want to call it. And um, let's say, you, you know, you get this one-off shipment that Friday night, Saturday, you're one of the only folks working, you've got a truck secured and you give your price and they say, well, we may have to just let it sit because that's way too high. That's a great point. So all of those different, all of those situations you just referenced, right? All different approaches, all different scenarios, all different contexts, right? So how I'll answer that is from the general sense and then we'll go specifically. So generally, how much does something cost and how much is something worth? How do you determine whether or not you're ever going to pay anything for anything that you buy or use? It's the context, right? It's what is the value I'm getting compared to what I'm actually paying? Without the context, any number is high and any number can be low, right? That's very, very true. Anything. Yep. So your goal is to establish that value along with your rate. That's how you handle that. Because from their point of view, they don't have that context and they're doing everything in their power to eliminate it. In fact, they're going to try to compare you to their other carriers. They're going to ask you to send over your rates via email so that they can passively pick the cheapest. And they're going to do everything in their ability to take away that context. It is your job to reestablish that. For instance, got a spot load. Yeah, my rate might be We'll say it's $1,000. We'll say it's a coast-to-coast load and it's a normal $5,000 lane. I come in at $6,000. And the guy's first response is, this is ridiculous. There's no way. We pay $5,000 every other week. Let's say it's the week before Christmas, right? My, that's why I never do this via email. You always want to do it over the phone because you can deal and manage with this person's personality. But I'm going to speak exactly to that and say, hey, you know what? Absolutely. One, tell me a little bit about this shipment. Does it need to go there? Okay. What am I really doing there? I'm trying to establish what? I'm trying to establish whether or not this does have to go there. I was going to say, it doesn't it, it, have that's to be your, there. That's your, is it time sensitive? Is it crucial? Yes. I've seen, I've seen a lot of companies and I don't want to, I don't want to butt in here, but furniture companies are like notorious for this. You'll buy yeah. something at a big showroom store and then it'll arrive a month later. And it came from North Carolina, you know, which should be a one or two day transit depending on where you're at. It's because it sat there until they found the cheapest truck. That's exactly why, right? So if you don't have if you don't have that context as a broker, you're blind. And that's what you're trying to establish. So one, that's what we want to know. Is it urgency? Is there a pain or a big penalty or a consequence to this load not getting picked up when they say they want it picked up? Because if you're shipping bricks or some other commodity that doesn't need picked up today, you're right. They will never pay that rate. But if there is a penalty, if there is a consequence, if they're shipping to a grocery store, if they're shipping to any place that needs that load when they said it would get there, now we've got some context. Okay. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example, right? So uh, had an agent who was shipping, it was a just a box truck moving some chairs to Florida from LA and they were special specialty chairs to be used at the NCAA at the college national football championship in Miami a couple weeks ago. Um, customer price was not an issue at that point, but what happened then is there's an issue with the truck along the way. 
And the customer is going to be willing to do whatever it takes to get that load to its destination. I mean, it doesn't make the broker look good either way, but when there's pressure or pain or consequence, imagine if something didn't get there for a scheduled event, right? I've had football games are a great example. I've had um, construction jobs where there's been contractors lined up, right? If it's urgent and there's consequences, if it's not delivered, that's a very, very easy way to make the price, to talk through that price issue. If there's not a lot of consequence, there's not really a whole lot of overcoming that objective if you're, or that objection if you're that far off. Exactly. And, and obviously, we're talking about this on a per shipment basis. We're talking about how to handle this objection on a one load. And there are probably listeners like, well, what do I do in a bid? What do I do with all these different lanes, right? One of the reasons we start here is that even if you want that dedicated freight and it is your goal to get there, you need the context to your rates, but you also need the context of the company you work for. You earn that trust. You earn that rapport and you earn that service record with the person you're speaking to. The best place to earn that is by doing, not saying. And the best place to do that is through the spot market. Getting some of these high priority loads, helping them with the stuff that the other brokers don't want. The other asset carriers don't want to pick up. The stuff that is in a problem area, a rural area, a place with low capacity, right? Those are all areas where price isn't going to be that big of an issue because some of the times they need to get there. If they don't, that's okay too. And maybe they aren't ever going to pay that rate. And it just is what it is. And you've been prospecting somebody that maybe wasn't a good fit for your company. The best thing you can do at that point is to cut your losses and move yep. forward, right? <laughs> that's something I wanted to talk about is I've seen, so I think I've, I've talked about this before is I started off in sales, working at Best Buy, selling computers, TVs, cameras, you know, all the electronic stuff. And I worked with this guy that, he would get objection after objection after objection. And like, he, he just kept overcoming and overcoming, but he got to the point where I would overhear it. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to sell them the wrong product. Like they don't want that laptop. They don't need yeah. that laptop. It, mm -hmm. But this guy's trying to sell it. And he's, he almost gets to the point where he's like, everyone knows that it's, they're not the right customer or that's not the right product for that, for this customer. Stop trying to overcome and just win because you're just going to you're going to destroy yes. the rapport there. So, and, and as soon as you find goal. out that it's not the right service for them or they're not the right customer for you, don't waste your time. Just do not and waste I, your time on it. And I think that's the big takeaway, right? Is remember that sales in closing and I know we're talking about objections, but the goal isn't to just get everybody to say yes. The goal is to get a yes or a no. And in some cases they're not going to be a fit and that answer is no, right? Some of them it is, and persistence really going to get you there. Agreed. Agreed. Social media Stuff. time. Go through yeah. some more questions. Yeah, we got we got some th three good ones today. So I love this first one because of our new our new uh, podcast series that's that's part of the the Freight Three Hundred and Sixty family. It's called Work Life Three Hundred and Sixty that Bruce and Rhonda are doing on Wednesdays. So um, just had I think they're up to two episodes out now and. Yep. More, to, more to come. But this first question, um, it says, has anyone implemented some aug or I'm sorry, not augmentation. Has anyone implemented some automation strategies that allow for better work life balance? I feel like we talked about technology and as part of the five ways to grow your book. Um, and I will tell you that as far as autumn or yeah, automation, 
Dude, I'm a huge CRM guy. Like that yep. alone saves me so much time. I, it's like 50 bucks a month for HubSpot basic sales account. And there's a bunch out there. You've got, besides HubSpot, you've got Salesforce. You've, there's, so, there's so many. Microsoft Dynamics, bunch of CRMs. Scheduling, linking right into your emails, set reminders. Uh, it'll tell you if an email has been opened, if an attachment's been opened, if a link's been clicked on. So easy, saves so much time. And then, you know, you're not having to worry about follow up when you like, Hey, did you see my email? It's like, yeah, they saw your email. Cause it says they yeah. opened it. So yeah. how Tons about you give any automation tips or any successes on that? Um, I mean, not necessarily automation, but I mean, I would say probably the biggest reason next to making more money that people hire a coach or that I work with is to answer this question. How do I get a better work life balance? How do I still achieve what I want in life? while not giving up the things that are important to me and is by far probably the, the area that I have the most impact on individuals' lives. So if this is something that you're really struggling with or you know, you've know you just had kids and you want to be able to still make that progress and not give up the other things that are important in your life, reach out to us. We can schedule some time to chat and it's definitely something we can help you with. Here's another thing too is um, our friends over at Lean, they don't do just staffing, right? They've got, there's a, an automation piece and it's more designed for, you've got to have a certain amount of transactions for it to be worth it. But there's a, there's some basically um, smart AI type automation that can be implemented to, for like a lot of repeated tasks. And I'm, I'm excited to get Trey on an episode to talk about this stuff down the road, but you know, whether it's order entry or responding to quote requests, emails, things like that, there is, there's automation out there now in the tech space specifically in, in transportation that exists. Um, so it's yep. out there. I ha- I personally haven't used anything like that myself, but it's out there. It is. So good stuff. Um, number two, and I, I want to hear what you have to say on this one. What is your biggest frustration in the industry? Is this like mine and yours or like I the guess. frustration? I mean, I, I saw a whole lot of responses on this one, but um, I know what mine is. Go for it. What's your biggest fr- frustration? I would say it's probably ego and the fact that people in this industry, more common, I think, than other industries I work in, genuinely believe, maybe it's arrogance, that they think they know everything and they're not willing to talk, learn, grow. And I think that's probably, and that's obviously from a coach perspective, my goal is to be able to educate, innovate, help people reach more of their potential. And there's nothing more frustrating than when I see potential in somebody I'm speaking to, but they refuse to introspectively wow. look at that, see that. I don't That's know. huge. I never thought about that because I think about, I'm a big fan of education and, you know, getting a second opinion from somebody else. So like we always say, you, you, you never want to be the smartest one in the room and you are who you spend the most time around. And I've got, I've got agents that do over a million dollars a year in profit in their agency that still come to me and ask questions about for feedback. Hey, what and do you that's think why about this? that's why they got there. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you where I think it comes from is I think it comes from the fact that there is very little barrier to entry to the industry. I think there's a ton of opportunity for people that maybe haven't had success in other industries when they come here. And once they do, they have a chip on their shoulder and genuinely believe that since they did this, they know best and there's nobody else that can help them improve on those things. Yeah. Yes. And it's going to lead to your downfall. I mean, we, you, that happens anywhere. Yep. You, because if you're not open to, to learning more or let's say you, 
you learn something 10 years ago and you're like, well, this is how we used to do it. And, you know, I'm not changing my ways. It's like, well, stay with the, the industry's times. moving forward, regardless yeah. of whether or not you're on board with how yeah. things change and progress. <laughs> so I'd say my biggest frustration, um, and I didn't even think about what you said before I answered in my head, but is the, the feud between carriers and brokers, there's so many, there's so many misunderstandings. Such a big wedge has been driven between the two, the two entities and we all need each other. You know, we, neither one can operate efficiently and effectively without the other. So that's my frustration. And I, you know, I, I hope that there can be a good number of prosperous years ahead of us where everyone's doing well, making money and the economy's booming. So there's enough to go around and yeah. So I this really agree. It's probably this, my number, definitely my number two, by the way. There you go. Good. So we, we agree. Um, all right. Last question. And we're going to answer, I'm going to answer, we're going to answer this in three different ways. So someone asked, what are the most successful brokers and agents making in a good year? And this is, <laughs> we're going to keep out the, we're not including your big box, like the company TQL or CH Robinson. Not the companies, individual no. agents, right? So I'll, we'll, we'll I'll, talk about, we're going to talk about agents, W2 sales reps, um, and some small Broker, licensed yeah. brokers. Yep. Okay. So I will tell you, I'm curious the W2 side, because I never sat in that seat. On the agent side, the largest agent that I have seen, and this is consi- like consistent business, $40 million a year in top line at a 25% margin. So that's $10 million, $10 million a, year. a year in gross profit, had an operation of about 20 to 30 people though. So yep. now I'll go to the one, a single operator. I've seen on a consistent basis without having employees, uh, 5 million a year in sales, 20%-ish margin. So one and a quarter million. Mm-hmm. So making no about a million bucks a year in commission. Really, really good. Really good customer base, really good carrier base. Not a whole lot of operational need because they have implemented great strategies that connects carriers and their customers together. So it's a lot of just maintaining the book mm-hmm. and strategic. Um, w2, talk to me about that. W2. So, I think biggest I'd seen was seven million a year in gross profit for an actual like one team member. Um, their take home was 25% of that. I so think we're talking almost 2 million bucks a year. About two and a half, three million $3 million a year, depending on the year. Um, I have, um, I know some guys that are doing, and it's a pretty big number that is a little bit bigger than that. The between one and 5 million a year in gross profit. I'd say I probably know at least 20, 30 people that are doing that at some of the bigger companies like CH, TQL, um, even Echo even. Now, it they have teams within them and it definitely varies on the structure and the support but for a lot of the same reasons that you see it in the agency model it's still the same business right yeah it's it's how the the pays are structured it's what they take home that's different for every company that just happens to be some of the folks that i know that have done very very well i mean bruce had a phenomenal career i think over his 13 years there 11 of which he had a million dollars in gross profit um, awesome. A couple years above that, and he was taking home twenty five percent of that. So he's had a phenomenal career. Most I ever did in a year was about eight hundred thousand in gross profit. Um, 
And it wasn't for lack of business. It's interesting because even when I look back on that year, I had more business. I couldn't get people trained fast enough and I couldn't get to it quick enough to scale what I had in front of me. Gotcha. So I think the the big takeaway here is that you can you can do very well on your own. I am such a big fan of of building a business around your agency or your brokerage, right? So if you're a one person licensed broker, you're going to have to hire at some point. Yes. You're going to have to have administrative, you're going to have to have dispatch, you name it. Account managers to handle quoting or whatnot if you want. Um, same thing with if you're if you're building your um, like, look at the model that a lot of the big companies use. They've got teams, they've got support pods, they've got um, claims departments and carrier sales departments, right? If you do this all on your own, like I said, the, the people, they'll do 5 million a year and have a 20, 25% margin, you burn out. Like you've got to, like yeah. you could do that for a year or two, but then you're, you're done. Like you, you need to have a work-life balance where you can sustain it over the long term, And that's where you get to, like I said, the guy that did, you know, $40 million in a year. So yeah. still an agent, he's still an agent, went off and tried to become his own broker and uh, realized he liked being an agent way better. So yeah. What do you think? What are your final thoughts, Nate? Um, great episode. I'm looking forward to the bills at the chiefs on Sunday at 6.40 p.m. Eastern. My game prediction is going to be a uh, higher scoring, close game. I'm going to say 28-24 Bills. I'll take the other side of that. Okay. What, uh, any any line? We're going to go straight up. On the game? Yep. I already, I, I hopped in at, uh, I hopped in at even and I wish I didn't because it's minus or it's plus three Buffalo now. So as they could have it's lost keep by moving in that direction. So I especially mean, if Mahomes plays, we'll see at least the line anyway, that's just what people are going to think and where you yeah. to be. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I already, so I actually, I had a pro I placed a futures bet with some friends for the bills to win the AFC East and the Super Bowl. So if the bills win the AFC East, my 50 bucks becomes 150 bucks. It was like nice. a plus 300, but that was before they played Baltimore. Yeah. And then I had 50 on the Super Bowl too. I'm not a, I'm not a big, uh, I'll do, I'll do my 50 or hundred dollar bets here and there and stuff. Yeah. It's fun. Make it do fun. Some, Keep it interesting. To for. We'll side, right. we'll side fun, but yeah, man, good stuff. Anyway, Final thoughts. What Mine do you got? Practice, practice, practice. The people I know that are very good at this, and I know some of the top producers in many, many industries around the country and around the world, they practice this constantly. They prepare, they constantly will sit down every quarter and write down the most, the most common objections they have. Even if there's just three or four, what have you been hearing? Prepare their own responses, practice those responses, and they get better at it. Like everybody else in any other profession, if you want to get better, practice. I mean, that's the yep. big takeaway. And finally, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. 
And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.